Press rewind. This is your new host, Travis Corley. Rewind. And I've decided that I need to take a step back. Rewind. What's up, Baylor fans? I'm back. And we are going old school on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. And I do welcome you into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. Thanks for letting me make that funny and goofy introduction. No big picture changes and no worries. Travis Corley is out this week, so I am back and I am ready to go. Thankful to be talking to you about Baylor football. If you know anything about Texas Baptist life, I've had a very busy week. I was at the Texas Baptist annual meeting from Sunday night through Tuesday afternoon, and so bringing this to you a little bit later in the week, but thanks for bearing with me, if you will, and uh, following along as we cover Baylor football this week. Huge win for Baylor this past Saturday. Baylor topples Oklahoma in a dominant performance, particularly in the fourth quarter and second half of that game. Baylor's defense makes Oklahoma's offense look completely inept. All the Caleb Williams hype just out the window. I did tell you a few weeks ago, both on this podcast and on my Twitter feed, that I thought Jalen Petrie, in particular Baylor's defense in general, would make Caleb Williams look silly. And turned out that happened. And perhaps Terrell Bernard was actually the biggest part of that, if you just look at the numbers and look at the disruption, though Jalen Petrie certainly played well as usual. So several stories are coming out of this past weekend's game. Uh, Number one, what a great look for Baylor on national television. Fox noon kickoff and uh, the broadcast on a national scope. Uh, Just a good look for Baylor to come out, fill up a stadium, win the game. Great look for the recruits who were at that game. You know, recruits maybe who could go uh, places that are bigger names, bigger brands than Baylor. Seeing Baylor absolutely destroy a team like Oklahoma. By the way, it's hard to realize just how dominant Oklahoma's been. And I talked about this, you know, last week when we had Bobby Evans on. But Oklahoma, you know, has not only won the Big 12, you know, 10 more times than anyone else, basically, but they've they've also won 28 games against Baylor. Baylor's won four. The first one was in 2011 and then 2013 and 2014 with those championship teams and then this past Saturday. That's it. That's it. 28 to 4 is that matchup right now. And so this win, we cannot overstate what a big deal this win is. And yes, even this season Oklahoma undefeated Probably a clear path to the playoff, despite what the rankings said, if they went out and win the Big 12. And Baylor steps in and and topples them down. Loved seeing it. One of the big storylines coming out of that game against Oklahoma is Gary Bohannon. 
Bohannon has had, I would say, three games in a row now where the speed of the game, perhaps, um, perhaps the talent of the opponents has really caught up to him. Perhaps uh, a little bit of the shine has worn off. Their teams have plenty of film on Gary now. And uh, I don't know, you know, what Texas and TCU and Oklahoma were able to consecutively string together where Gary, three games in a row now, has thrown some pretty inexplicable interceptions. And not the kind of interception where you give your receiver a chance one-on-one and the defensive back makes a play, but the kind of interceptions where you scratch your head and say, where was he trying to throw that football, right? And ultimately, that's what cost us against TCU two weeks ago in Fort Worth. You know, the whole team left something to be desired on the field, but you had a shot to win it with a field goal at the end, and Gary throws an interception on an out route that probably never should have been thrown. This past Saturday against Oklahoma, that early interception, it was a play where uh, Oklahoma's defense had great coverage all around the field. Gary should probably throw it away or try to pick up a couple on the ground. And instead, he tries to force a ball somewhere it would not fit, and he throws another pick. You know, Baylor fans, if you've listened to me talk, if you've read my writing on Bears Illustrated, I love Gary Bohannon. I am a big-time Gary Bohannon supporter. I'm the guy who, even last fall, was clamoring for Gary to get in, not Zeno. I'm the guy this spring who told you Gary Bohannon would win that quarterback job. And I'm the guy who supported him through and through. What we're seeing is is probably the biggest insufficiency in his game, and it's twofold, is accuracy on the deep ball. He missed another one to a wide-open Tyquan Thornton this past Saturday. And feeling like he has to force balls into super tight, impossible windows when a play breaks down. And and that often turns into interceptions. What I know about Gary is that he's a grinder. He's a film watcher. He does everything right from a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tony Romo type perspective where... You know, he is going to be in the film room longer than anyone else, and he's going to be on the practice field trying to figure out how to eliminate those mistakes. And, you know, we think of Gary as a veteran because of how long he's been at Baylor, but the, the dude is is really still a first-year starting quarterback. He's still really young in terms of his playing time. And because he came from a tiny school in Arkansas where he didn't play against many, if any, other Division One football players— you know, he is behind developmentally from a lot of guys in like Texas, 5A and 6A schools who might come into college. And what Gary's done is gone to the camps, done the work, improved his footwork, improved his arm, improved his accuracy, improved the way he leads. And if he can just get the deep ball accuracy down, if he can stop the bad picks, man, he is going to light college football up next season. It's, it's going to be a freight train of success for him in the future. And I think he will clean those things up. I don't mean to ramble on Gary Bohannon. What I'm getting to is this. Prior to Saturday's win against Oklahoma, Gary's rushing high for the season in a single game was 36 yards, and I never understood that. What you saw this past Saturday, and the reason Gary is getting so much recognition, and it's deserved, is what he can do with his legs. And what we all knew from the moment Gary stepped on campus and even the snaps he got from Matt Rule as a freshman on, we all knew the man is a gifted runner with the football. 
and he is almost that median between RG3 and Cam Newton. And by that I mean he's not nearly as blazing fast as Robert Griffin, and he's not quite as big and strong and capable of running over people as Cam Newton, but he's somewhere in between, and he's kind of a sweet spot in between. He's fast and elusive enough to get away from most defenders when he needs to, and he's strong and powerful enough to run over people at the goal line. And so as I've looked at Gary Bohannon all season, I've kind of asked all season why he's not running with the football. I've wondered all season why we're not implementing the read option. It seems like every run is a predetermined handoff or quarterback power. I've wondered all season, as good as Jeff Grimes' offense has been, would it be better if we let Gary run? And you look last year at Zach Wilson's highlights at BYU, and that was part of what made him so dynamic was his ability to run. Grimes took the training wheels off Saturday. He let Gary loose. And what we saw was, I think, what Gary can be. Moving forward, and especially as he develops into a great quarterback next season, you are going to see a guy who routinely throws for 200, 230 yards, and runs for 80 to 100. I think that is what Gary Bohannon can be and should be and is. And it's good to see him unleashed with his legs. That made me really happy. I don't think I'm the only one who's wanted more of that all season. And we saw how effective it can be against a great team like Oklahoma. And I hope we keep leaning into it as we close out the season. Of course, the other guy who's made such an impression on that offense all season is Abram Smith. And I can't think of a better story this year in all of college football than Abram Smith. Switching from linebacker, going back to his high school all-state position, And in my opinion, he has been the best running back in college football this year. He's tied for second in the nation in yards per carry. Guys like Kenneth Walker and Sean Tucker have more yards, but significantly more carries. Let me just emphasize the point with this. I've got here the top 10 rushers this season so far in college football. Guys that have big names like Jalen Warren at Oklahoma State, Travion Henderson at Ohio State, and even Deuce Vaughn at Kansas State are in the top 20 but are not in the top 10. I'm going to read you the top 10, and I'm not going to read them by name. I'm going to read them by how many carries they have. So let me tell you who the top 10 running backs in America are, and I am just going to read their total number of carries. 227, 220. 235, 200, 216, 203, 230, 195, 220, 164. Abram Smith is the fifth leading rusher in America, and he has 31 carries less than the only other player in the top 10 with less than 200 carries, and that's B. John Robinson. In fact, If you scroll down the list, there are only two other players in the top 20 that have less than 170 carries, and that's Travion Henderson at Ohio State, who's 16th, and Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina, who's 20th. So Abram Smith is the most efficient, the most effective, the most dominant runner in college football, and I think... Were Baylor not the name across his chest, were it Ohio State, Alabama, 
I think he'd already be the runaway favorite for the Heisman Trophy. And I don't think any of us expected that this season. And I and I cackle when I was telling I was telling a buddy who came to the game with me this past Saturday. I said Abram Smith's first carry of the year against Texas State, he fumbles it. <laughs> he fumbles it and then he goes on this season to just put out performance after performance and he did it again against Oklahoma. They couldn't stop him. And he's doing that while having a guy behind him in Treston Ebner, who's got 641 yards on 5.6 per carry, which is his career high by a lot, by the way. And now having Gary Bohannon unleashed, he's going to continue to pick up yards on the ground. Abram Smith has a good shot at breaking Terrence Ganaway's single season rushing record. Ganaway ran for 1,547 yards in 2011. Abram's already at 12.03, and you've got two regular season games left, potentially a championship game left if Bedlam goes the way we want it to, and a bowl game. And he's averaging 120.3 yards per game. So listen, if, if Baylor has three games left, which is a guarantee at this point, and he maintains his game-by-game average, he should catch or pass Terrence. And if we have four games left, he'll almost certainly pass Terrence. We're going to bring in Terrence in just a few minutes to talk a little bit about that and other things. But man, show some love for Abram Smith. There's two other things I want to get to before I bring in my friend Ann Baylor's current record holder for single season rushing, Terrence Ganaway. I want to talk about Dave Aranda. This topic seems extremely relevant uh, with Joey McGuire departing the program to take the position of head coach at Texas Tech. And by the way, I uh, ran into a Texas Tech alum at the Baptist annual meeting, and uh, we were catching up, and, and he was talking about taking Joey from us, and I said, you know, I saw someone else say this on Twitter. If you're the one who put this out on Twitter first, let me know. I'll give you credit, but somebody posted I think on Twitter something to the effect of you know Joey McGuire is the only coach who could leave his team midseason to go coach at a conference rival and then talk bad about your fan base take some of your recruits with him and yet your entire fan base is going to give him a standing O if he comes in with Texas Tech in a couple Saturdays like the entire Baylor fan base is out here And like in no other circumstance, if a coach did all those things, would we applaud him? But that's the impact Joey McGuire's had at Baylor. And I know Travis has talked about it a little bit, so I won't get too into Joey. But I want to talk about Dave because when Matt Rule departed the program to go to the NFL, and all of us were a little disappointed but but proud of him, pleased for him, right? We, we kind of knew that was coming at some point. Probably came two years earlier than I really wanted it to, but we knew it was coming. But you'll remember, because it was pretty public, the Baylor players were like, yo, we've got our head coach, it's Joey McGuire. (laughs) Right? And the fan base was on Twitter, myself included, y'all, me included. Mac, let's keep this Matt Rule regime and momentum going. We've got Joey McGuire. Make the call, (laughs) right? Mac chose to bring in Dave Aranda. And in a season and a half, I mean, 
we've got four games left, hopefully in year two here, but in, in a season plus, not even two full seasons, I think you could already ask the question, and I'm asking it because I like to be provocative. <laughs> you could ask the question, is Dave Aranda not only on the same level as Coach Matt Rule, and you guys know I stand for Coach Matt Rule, I will never say one negative word about CMR. But is it possible that Dave Aranda is not only on that same level, but even a step up? Did we actually score a first-time head coach who is just as good, if not better, than Matt Rule? Now, a few disclaimers. (laughs) I think you needed a Matt Rule personality coming off of what Baylor came off of in 2016 okay I think you needed that fire that passion that energy almost like a wrecking ball right clean up clean out rebuild Matt Rule was the best coach in the United States of America for that job but once he did I wonder out loud with you today if Dave Aranda is actually a better head coach for Baylor It's arbitrary. There's an argument and a conversation to be had. But Matt Rule never beat Oklahoma. And he had two really good chances in 2019. And listen, he played Oklahoma tough. Perhaps Oklahoma's toughest win in 2017, Baker Mayfield's Heisman season, was in Waco against a one-win Baylor squad. You'll remember that. I talked with Bobby a little bit about it last week, right? So Matt Rule played Oklahoma tough. I mean, don't get it twisted. But he never beat them. Oh, and we really needed to beat them in 2019. We we could have a third championship banner had we beat them in 2019. Hmm. Dave Aranda beat them in year two. No Baylor head coach has ever done that. Yes, Dave Aranda is taking a foundation and even player base that Matt Rule put together. So Matt Rule still deserves credit for this team's success, 100%. But what David Aranda has done three seasons in a row now is out-scheme Lincoln Riley. Got to give a lot of credit to defensive coordinator Ron Roberts here too. That same 2019 Oklahoma team that beat Baylor twice, Dave Aranda's LSU defense absolutely destroyed them. The final score of that game, you'll recall, was 63-28. And, of course, everybody's going to focus on the 63 part. Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, those guys. But Jalen Hurts did not throw a touchdown that entire game. And Dave Aranda's defense held Hurts to 3.1 yards a carry and Kennedy Brooks to 3.5. Oklahoma scored seven, one touchdown in each quarter of that football game. Dave Aranda's defense absolutely out-schemed Lincoln Riley. Last season... Dave Aranda's defense, despite Baylor having an absolutely dumpster fire team last year. There's no way around that, right? Dave Aranda's defense held Oklahoma's offense to its lowest output of the season last year. And then this year, you saw it. Caleb Williams did not know what to do. (laughs) They insert Spencer Rattler. He didn't do any better. Perhaps it's sufficient to say for now that Matt Rule was the man for the moment, was the man to bring integrity and character back to Baylor, was the man to get Baylor fast-tracked back to a championship-caliber program. And that accomplishment in Baylor history will never be overshadowed 
nor matched, I don't think. I don't know that any coach could have come into what rule stepped into and got into a championship game three years, you know, within three seasons. Unreal. We still don't talk about Matt Rule enough. I think Matt Rule deserves a statue, okay? But man, am I glad Dave Aranda's our head coach. Man, has he proven to be everything he was billed to be. And I want him at Baylor for 10 years, longer. I don't want any schools touching him. And I don't know how we're going to keep him. Because if he keeps having this kind of success, the the big SEC schools are going to knock on his door real quick. I do trust Mac Rhodes. I do trust Linda Livingstone. I don't think Iran is going anywhere this offseason. I've been pretty vocal about that already. But what a fit. What a fit. There was a lot of Mac Rhodes slander when Kim Mulkey left this past spring. Can we just stop the Mac Rhodes slander? And, and can we acknowledge that the man has done nothing but bring brilliant people into Baylor who have done an outstanding job? You know, Coach Jobson just stepped away from the Baylor soccer program this year after 14 seasons coaching at Baylor. Thankful for Coach Jobson, the winningest soccer coach in Baylor history. He will be missed. Mac Rhodes will replace him with someone great. Nikki Collin getting the season started with some wins. Hey, if Baylor faced LSU in this year's NCAA tournament in women's basketball, I'm taking the Bears. <laughs> like, I believe in them. I believe in Nikki Collin. Why? Because Mac Rhodes hired her. But I'd love to know your thoughts if you want to reach out via Twitter or another method of getting in touch with me. Tell me how you feel about Dave Aranda today. You bounce back from a loss against your rival who's awful this season. You bounce back from losing your absolutely beloved and cherished assistant head coach, and you beat a team that was playoff bound. You beat the juggernaut of the conference, the guy, you know, the team in the conference going to the SEC who probably can fit and belong in the SEC, unlike those guys south of us, right? Anyway, last thing I want to discuss, and then I'm going to bring Terrence Ganaway in. I spent about a week putting together my all-time Baylor football team. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to run through all of it here. I'd encourage you to go to Bears Illustrated. That's 247sports.com slash college slash Baylor. If you type in Bears Illustrated on Google search, it should take you there as well. I put together my all-time Baylor football team. Took quite a bit of statistical research. The most difficult part of doing that was that I don't, have just access to the archives, right? Like I can't go watch film of, you know, if, if, if you're comparing quarterbacks and quarterback was actually one of the easier positions in my opinion to, to rate, but I can't go back and watch Cotton Davidson, Don Trule, Tom Mickey and Cody Carlson, JJ Joe, right? I, I, I didn't watch those guys in person. I'm too young. I have to look at the statistics and try to frame the statistics within their historical context to make a determination as to who the greats in Baylor history are. Some trends emerged as I made this all-time Baylor football team. The first trend being the, the most common players on either the first or second team for any position are either modern era guys, so we'll say like Bryles onward, or Taff era guys. And that shouldn't surprise anyone, right? I mean... 
That stretch between Taff and Bryles was desolate. There were certainly some studs in there that made first and second teams here, but pretty desolate. And before Taff, it's just hard. Like It is just hard to look at the 60s or anything earlier than the 60s and have a historical understanding of what football was like then and what the stats mean, especially when I can't see it on tape. It's just hard to compare players across eras, but I did my best. So I mentioned quarterback. RG3 is, is clearly the first team pick. I don't think there's any debate or discussion to be had. I had one guy firing at me on Twitter about how Don Truel should be first over Griffin, and and I just, you know, I'm glad that he was your favorite, but there's no substance to that argument other than a personal favorite. And that's fine. You can have your favorite. My favorite Baylor quarterbacks of all time might be Sean Bell and Nick Florence. Uh, that doesn't make him first and second team all time, right? I did put Don Truel second team all time. If you look at his Heisman finish and his stats for the era, uh, that's who I had. Again, I won't run through every position. I just want to highlight it and let you go look. Abercrombie and Ganaway were my first team running backs. I know Ganaway is a controversial choice because he's got you know, the one monster season, which I, I give him extra credit for that monster season because he did it right beside the Heisman Trophy winner, Griffin. But he doesn't have the career numbers of a Shockland Wood who I put on the second team. And I, I had Lake Seastrunk getting second team as well, just because I don't know that there's ever been a more talented or dynamic athlete on the football field for Baylor than Lake. Uh, some other things I noticed as I was looking and forming this team, we've we've never had a great tight end in school history, which is just funny. Ben Sims actually made my second team, um, just because I, I really, uh, I've seen all of the guys play who he would be compared against as a pass-catching tight end, and I think he's better than all of them. It was just kind of a funny thing. On the defensive side of the ball, it also surprised me of how the best edge rushers in school history have all been pretty recent. James Lynch and Sean Oakman are Baylor's all-time leaders in sacks. Chris McAllister, also a more recent guy. Perhaps the two toughest positions to rank were linebacker and secondary. And I started this project after... I tweeted during the TCU game that Jalen Petrie might be a first-team all-time Baylor football player. <laughs> I didn't know how true or untrue that was, but that's what I said. So I decided to put the team together to see where Petrie would fall, and in that, I, I kind of decided, well, it'd be interesting to see where Terrell Bernard would fall as well. And, you know, both of those guys, I think at a lot of schools, would be first-team. But linebacker and secondary might be the two strongest positions in all of Baylor history. Receiver is, is pretty high, too. But linebacker and secondary both are unbelievably deep if you look at Baylor's all-time history. So on the first team, uh, all-time Baylor linebackers, there were three pretty easy picks because they just pop in terms of stats and tape. And that's Mike Singletary, who's probably the best college football linebacker of all time. James Francis, Joe Pavelic were easy selections with their numbers and accomplishments. And then I put Taylor Young in there on the first team. Uh, he is currently uh, the all-time leader in sacks for linebackers at Baylor. Terrell Bernard has a chance to pass him if he gets a couple more, but currently has not. And Taylor Young, uh, sacks, tackles for loss, disruptive plays. His numbers popped. Second team, Ray Berry, Daryl Luce, Terrell Bernard did make the cut, and Bryce Hager got my final spot over Doak Field. So absolutely stacked all-time at linebacker. And then secondary or defensive back, maybe even more stacked. I could not justify 
putting Jalen Petrie on the first team. And I tried. I really, really tried to make Jalen Petrie a first team all-time Baylor Bear. But I couldn't put him above any of these five guys. Thomas Everett, pretty indisputably the best defensive back in school history by anyone's accounts, especially those who watched him play. I did not. Van McElroy and Mike Welch both have 16 interceptions all time, which is tied for the record at Baylor. So, I, you know, if you're evaluating secondary, your two all-time interception leaders, I think, have to make the first team. Uh, cornerback Gary Green was a consensus All-American, and I weighed that designation very heavily in the making of these teams. And I put Ron Francis in there as kind of the fifth guy on that first team because he put up numbers that would be impressive enough for a cornerback in a career at Baylor, and he did it in two seasons. His freshman year, he was ruled academically ineligible, and his sophomore year, he played running back at Baylor. And so in two seasons of playing corner at Baylor, he had 14 interceptions. The school record is 16. So had he literally just played a third season at corner, he probably would have broken the school record for interceptions. So that's my first team. In the secondary, my second team was George Sims, Robert Blackman, Gary Baxter, Maurice Lane, and then Jalen Petrie, uh, who who would probably be the leader on that second team. The funniest thing that happened in putting together this all-time Baylor football team was I got the most opinions in tweets back to me about punters. I asked, hey, what is your opinion on my all-time Baylor football team? And the people were most upset about the punters, which is hilarious because Daniel Sepulveda is the undisputed king, both in terms of numbers and being the sport's first ever two-time Ray Guy Award winner, right? And I put Spencer Roth, second team. He's second all-time at Baylor in punt average. He was just a consistent force, uh, and I watched him play, so I, I know maybe there's a little bias there, but the statistics actually bear that out too. But I had so many people that got really fired up on Twitter about punters. And so, uh, you know, I think that's pretty funny. And it was fun to engage with that. I have talked way too much. There's so much more, actually, that I have to say, uh, not being on here every week. And this has been fun getting back on here. But let me bring in my friend, Terrence Ganaway, to give you another analyst perspective, as he certainly keeps up with Baylor football as well as anybody, but a former player perspective, right? That's one of the greats to ever do it in the green and gold. So let's get to my conversation with my buddy, friend of the podcast, been on every season. Here is the tentative all-time leading rusher in a single season for Baylor, status pending. (laughs) My friend, Terrence Ganaway. Dude, I was looking because it's easy to forget history. Do you know what Baylor's all-time record against Oklahoma is? I would say it's probably five or six and a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think um, I think Baylor didn't beat Oklahoma until my senior year. I think that might have been the first time they beat Oklahoma. You're correct. And so I would, say, I would assume we've won about five or six games since then uh, in the last decade. Uh, so we're five and what, 25 or something? It's four and 28. Ah, we only won four? We've won Each four. Of those four games are pretty memorable. Grant Taft went 0 and 4 against Oklahoma. Your senior year was, was the first one. That was 2011 for people that don't remember. And then 2013 and 2014, we kicked their butt pretty good. This win this past Saturday was the first time we've beaten them since. 
and it's the first time we've beaten Lincoln Riley. So talk to me. I mean, maybe, maybe first of all, talk to me from from a player perspective. Uh, how big that is to kind of get that monkey off your bat and beat somebody like that. But secondly, what do you think in particular that means for this team? Yeah, I think it's a, a huge boost of confidence. You go into these games and you have all the superstitions and you read the articles. In a perfect world, these guys would be focused on X's and O's and the players on the other side of the field. But there's a little superstition in, in sports. I think it's healthy as well. And there's definitely a lot of it in football with so many different facets of the game. Uh, Lincoln Riley has been phenomenal for OU. I think they've won five Big 12 championships in a row, um, four or five. And, and they do a really good job of, you know, getting a lot of recruits in and, and then playing to at a high level and they close big games. You know, we we played OU closely last couple years. And uh, they, they've done a really good job of closing games with the talent that they have. The big thing to take away from this game last weekend is that we didn't play our best game from start to finish, and we still dominated the game from start to finish. And that gives you a lot of confidence moving forward in how we're going to approach uh, you know, bigger teams. And I don't know if this is the last year we're playing Oklahoma or not, Maybe there's some there's some opportunity that we might get them again next year, but we don't know. But this gives this team and you know Coach Rand and his staff a lot of confidence to say, hey, we're a really good team and we have a huge future ahead of us. Now let's just sit back and play ball. Uh, we can forget about some of the superstitious nature of the game. And we just line up and be physical, rally to the ball. Um, this also – and lastly, this, this win also helps this team become more of a family. When these guys are running to the ball together, they're rallying together, they celebrate together. It, it, it doesn't seem like this is an individual holistic uh, team like other teams we see in the Big 12 and around the country. This team is truly galvanized to play for each other and win with each other. And um, I think this is something beautiful. What we have to do right now is forget about that game and focus on next week. That's right. That's right. Um, there's several things that that game revealed, I think, uh, from Dave Aranda's, uh, I guess, brilliance. He's kind of got Lincoln Riley's number. Uh, there's been some comments made about how, you know, uh, it was Aranda's defense that kicked Oklahoma's butt a couple years ago in the playoffs despite not winning many games last season, Baylor held Oklahoma to its lowest output last season with a, with a bad football team. I, I know you and I have had some conversations about Matt Rule and, and what he did at Baylor, but let's look at, at Dave Aranda. And one of the questions I'm teeing up this week, and it's too, the, the truth is it's too early to say, but can we already say that Baylor may not have only replaced Matt Rule, but depending on how long Aranda's is at Baylor and what he can accomplish, um, maybe you've even taken the smallest step up from Matt Rule. I mean, the guy, <laughs> no excuses, Terrence. You talk about winning. The guy is winning, and he's winning fast. No excuses. And I think the beauty of, of this is that when you look at 
what Matt Rule and what Dave Aranda has done. In order to continue to have a high level of success year after year, you have to hold players accountable and coaches accountable. When Matt Rule came in and he upped the ante for everyone and said, we're going to compete at this level. If you cannot compete at this level, you need to get out. He got rid of some coaches early on. He made some changes. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, same with Dave Aranda. The offense last year was horrendous. Uh, and he made a tough, tough decision, but one that was necessary. And when you can make decisions like that, you set yourself up for, uh, for a much greater success in the future because then you can hold everyone else accountable. Uh, I was just talking to a good friend of mine about this with Texas and Texas A&M. Uh, when Sumlin was at A&M, you know, they didn't hold a lot of people accountable at that organization because Johnny Manziel could do whatever he wanted to do. And it's the reason why they had the success they had. Uh, you look at what Texas has, they don't hold any of their players accountable. You know, commentators, when you watch the game, all oh, this guy's coming to his own. You, you watch in a year from now, and then the year from now never comes for those teams because they don't hold their coaches and players accountable. Nick Saban does a great job of saying, hey, we're going to compete every day, and we're going to play for each other. And if you think you're bigger than the team, then you can go somewhere else because we really don't need you. And I don't think Matt Rule or Dave Aranda has had those conversations verbatim, but I think they created the intensity that we're not going to let things slide we're going to focus intently and we're going to get better week in and week out. And they've done a really good job of doing that. I don't think that he's done more or less than what um, Matt Rule has done, speaking of Dave Aranda. But I do think there is some intentionality and focus on being a really solid defense and changing the shift in the Big 12 of being a defensive-led team, a team that runs the ball, uh, really well. And if you look at when Matt Rule was successful with Lovett and, and Ebner, and then you look at the success we've had this year with Abram Smith and Ebner as well, we've been a run first team. And, you know, our quarterbacks have been game managers uh, the last couple of years. So I think Matt Rule did help flip the blueprint of Big 12 and what success could look like at Baylor. Um, you already know I didn't like the trust the process year, but I think it's one that was very, very necessary to get to where we are today. I like that you mentioned quarterbacks because you and I have also swapped texts a few times about Gary Bohannon. Say what you will, uh, I think the guy, number one, I think you and I would agree, between the ears, I think the guy's got it figured out. I mean, in terms of uh, leadership, in terms of Bouncing back, I think, you know, you, you've you seen him not only, like, throw a bad pick and come back and lead a touchdown drive, but, like, two weekends ago against TCU, have a horrible performance and a game-losing interception, bounce back and win a game against Oklahoma. The other thing about Gary Bohannon, and I'm, I'm so glad we finally did it, before this past Saturday, his rushing high for the season was 36 yards. And the whole time I'm going, this guy has has proven, even before he was a starter, that, that he's a weapon running the football. And clearly in the second half against Oklahoma, 
Grimes finally leans into that and lets him be a weapon using his legs. So what what have you uh, seen from Gary Bohannon? How do you evaluate him as Baylor's quarterback? And what what are some things he needs to do to continue improving and, and bringing Baylor success on the field? I think Gary Bohannon is at his best when we run the ball and control the line of scrimmage effectively. Um, I, and we did that well against Texas. We did that well against Oklahoma. And, and teams and games where we didn't do that well, and it was rested on his shoulder, uh, I, I think his youth started to show. And when I say youth, he's mature. He's a great guy. He's a team leader. But his youth uh, and being able to recognize things on the field started to show. You know, I, I look back at you know, OSU uh, as well as um, T- TSU, TCU. Uh, and, and even if we look at our state, his performance in our state was – was not great and not the standard that I'm sure he would want to compete at. But when you you look at his game, he's been a manager so far. There's nothing wrong. There's great teams that have great managers. And he's been a really great manager for Baylor. And games where he's been asked to do more than just manage, we've came up short. And I don't know if that's youth or I don't know if that is a skill uh, limitation. And there's nothing against Gary Bohan, and I'll probably get a lot of people that won't like what I'm saying, but his ability to keep his eyes down the field when the pocket seems to be collapsing um, is, is an issue that I've noticed in, in games where he's been asked to be a manager. Uh, keeping his eyes down the field, having pocket presence, uh, and that comes with repetition. You know, the more you get hidden in the pocket, the more you can stand in there and you can see things develop and anticipate routes, and then you can make make throws. Um, and then also, you know, some of his placement. I mean, he he's did a, done a great job of zipping it in there, but he has a throw where he, you know, some of these throws where he's lofting it up and uh, it gets there, and then there's some of these throws that he zips it in there and he's very, very confident in the ball placement. And so – I know they've been working with him. He's a much better passer this year than he's ever been at Baylor. Uh, he's a much better, you know, diagnostic leader and quarterback on the field. Um, when you speak of his legs, there were several times in this game and over the course of the past months that Gary had had, had opportunities to run the ball and pull. And I don't know if it was designed plays, but he chose not to. And, you know, we were stopped in the backfield for a loss. And so when I look at, you know, him running and having success running this past weekend, I want to see more of him reading these reads, making, you know, great reads, and then punishing the defense. Uh, Because when you do that as a quarterback, the playbook opens a lot more. Uh, We can do a lot more, you know, uh, play action. Uh, we can throw the ball downfield a lot more. We can put, uh, throw the ball in the middle a lot more because we got people biting up and respecting the legs of the quarterback. So the more he gets comfortable doing it, the better we're going to be at it. And uh, the more confident uh, he's going to be in making those decisions uh, post-snap. The guy that's making this offense go, Terrence, is Abram Smith. And uh, I, I think we do appreciate him. But I think we are still underappreciating him. 
So he's tied for second in the nation with 7.34 yards per carry. That's on 164 carries. You know, Kenneth Walker at, at Michigan State gets a lot of hype. Great back. He's at 6.4 yards a carry. Other guys like Bijan and Brees Hall, they aren't even really close. I don't even see them very high on this list at all. I loved your tweet earlier. You know, somebody tweeted that he's got a shot to come get your single season record. And you tweeted, man, go get it. And and let's go get a championship. How impressive is it to you that a guy, and I know he was an all-state running back in high school, but how impressive is it to you that a guy can just switch from linebacker after three or four years, move over to running back, and be arguably the best in the nation? Talk about Abram Smith's play this year. Yeah, I don't look at it as, you know, a former linebacker running back. This guy's an athlete. And you look at a lot of these players that come from smaller schools at, 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 at Baylor, um, they were both sides of the ball, you know, or they play multiple sports. So his ability to make decisions and, and play at a high level at running back uh, is, is special. You, you look at the Cowboys, I think you're a huge Cowboys fan, uh, and you look at um, Diggs, uh, what he's been able to do as a DB. He's an athlete. You put him anywhere, you want him somewhere where he can be the best for the team. And Abram Smith, although he had a really good year last year at a linebacker, um, you put him in a place where he can be the best for the team. You know, coach went over there and he said, I need a running back that can run downhill north and south and get us hard fall yards. They said, we got a linebacker that used to play running back. And, and that decision was made quickly because at the end of the day, you give him the ball, you, you want the ball in your best player's hands. You gave him a ball a couple of times in practice, and they're like, oh, this is definitely our guy. We, we got to go with him. And so he's not far removed from being an all-state running back in Texas. Uh, and I'm sure if you look at other positions uh, across the field, uh, I'm sure there's people that can play multiple positions. I think of Blake Lynch that moved around all over in his career at Baylor, and then he ended up at, you know, you know, a safety outside linebacker and made it to the NFL in that position. He was more, you know, we as fans wanted to see him more with the ball in his hand, but what made him a better player and what challenged him to grow his career came from the form of, you know, being a a defensive player. And so Abram has accepted the challenge. He's rose to the occasion and our offensive line has gotten much, much better at, climbing and, and, and running this zone scheme and getting to the next level. Uh, another attribute of his success, another reason for success is because our receivers block very well on the perimeter, not only for the running backs, but for the, the, the other receivers. Uh, when plays are, are, are breaking down and there's guys looking to reverse field or cut back, these guys go and find work like I have never seen before and that's a testament to how hard they practice because you don't just, you know, show up when they go to block. And a testament of how hard they practice and how selfless they are. Because you, when you're blocking for others, that means you don't really care about yourself. You're putting your, 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 your body on the line to, to help other people be successful. And that's what he's done. And he's done it at an extremely high level. He is well within striking distance. Uh, we got two teams that um, – I think we can get after uh, on the on the ground. 
Um, and I mean, if we win out, we we could have a chance to play in the Big 12 championship, which could give him an extra game. Uh, so there's there's a lot of you know factors that can lead to him breaking this record, and I hope he does because he deserves it. It would be a great story, and one day we'll be all in the locker room together, all these former running backs, and we'll sit there and talk about our times at Baylor, not about the records we broke. And I, 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 he's going to be a part of that group. It's an elite group. Walter Abercrombie leads that group, and we have a great friendship and a relationship. He's welcome to any running back room I've ever been in. I love that. I love that you say that. And uh, I think Abram's got a real shot to make the league, too, with the way he he runs with his running style. So I'm going to be pulling for him in every way. Speaking of Walter and, and yourself, I put out, and I worked on this for about a week, I put out an all-time first and second team Baylor football. I wanted to have two running backs on each on each of those teams because of the way that just eras have changed and things are different. And I uh, I went ahead and put you and Walter as my as my first team guys. The two guys, uh, there's a few guys on the current team that that made the list, but the two main ones are Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, and uh, they both made my second team all time at Baylor. You could argue they could be first teamers, even with just the way that they've played. You know, you talked about Rule and now Aranda establishing a defensive identity, but it doesn't happen without some studs. And and those two in particular have just been lights out, consistent uh, disruptors, chaos creators. So, man, I'm just, I, I don't have a specific question, but I, I guess I, I did want to talk about those two guys and, and their careers. How historic have their careers been? Um, as you look at Jalen Petrie and Terrell Bernard and just the consistent, violent, uh, you know, plays that they make. It's the reason why we got a defensive identity. And you, you think about the consistency between the team that Matt Rule led and the team that, um, that now Dave Aranda leads. It's because of those two. And those two guys have been leaders at this place since they stepped on campus. They competed at a high level, and they got everyone else around them. And they got that Michael Jordan effect, right? You know, when, when Michael Jordan played, he increases the play of everyone else around them. Without those two people on the team, this defense isn't half as good. And I know we have great, talented, you know, uh, uh, linebackers and safeties and other people that can come in. We got depth. And we're going to continue to build build those guys up. But it's the reason why we're successful on defense is because they show up early and often and they show up in a bad mood and they disrupt plays. And when you can disrupt plays from, you know, offenses in the, the Big 12 that are high-powered offenses, they get panicky and they want to go score and then they tend to make mistakes. And we've capitalized on those mistakes throughout the year. And um, those guys are – are all-time Baylor greats, uh, and and their season is still being ridden. So I'm I'm truly pumped for for both of them. You know, Petrie uh, could have done something totally different to come to Baylor, but he stuck with us. Man, here's a fun question for you because I one I know I know you're a humble guy, but two I'm curious if you had to talk about the greatest running back or a couple of running backs in Baylor history. Who are the first couple? I mean, there's been a ton of them. There's been there's been several. 
But but who are the guys that you're like that are real? I mean, who are the guys that you'd say are are the best of the best of the best? That's a great question, man. Uh, there was there's been a lot of great running backs at Baylor, and uh, I, I always laugh and chuckle when my name is mentioned. And I'm like, these guys must have never watched film, and they went straight to the record books and said, "Oh, th- th- he has to be in the top." Uh, and bro, I I watched every I watched every single one of your games and and put you up there. So I know you're a humble guy. I'm gonna let you keep talking, but I'm very 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 grateful for everything that I've been able to do at Baylor and, and all the people I've I've been able to interact with and build relationships with. When I say Walter leads that that group, I mean Walter is the when I think about Baylor running back success. I think Walter is definitely uh, top of, you know, everything he's done at Baylor, uh, everything he continues to do. When we revere our position, we always look to him because he really established that, that mold of what a successful running back looks like. And outside of him, Shaq Linwood would be another one that had a career, uh, a, a career performance over time. Like me, I came in, I, you know, we had a really good year, had a great year. Um, Walter did it over years. Shock Linwood did it over years. Um, Lacey Strong had a couple of years that he strung together. Uh, and then you look at Tristan Ebner and, and, and Tristan Ebner and John Lovett, what they were able to do. You know, Abram may be the, you know, lightning in the bottle that we can use to help propel us to win. Uh, but man, there's so many running backs that I, um, that I will, you know, never know their name truly or be able to give them as much credit for building up Baylor to what they really are, what Baylor really is. But I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't say, um, who would be top running backs at Baylor, uh, history. Uh, I don't know. The, the, the details or the records or what they were able to accomplish at Baylor all too familiar but I think two of the people that will be on that list regardless of who who looks at it will be Shock Linwood and Walter Abercrombie. I think those guys are one and two on in school history for rushing yards so that makes perfect sense. So I, I, uh, I'm about to get ready for my K-State preview. I haven't honestly I've probably watched K-State the least out of any team in the Big 12. I've watched Kansas more than I've watched K-State because they played Oklahoma tough and then they beat Texas this last week and I was watching those games. So, uh, you know, this this Kansas State team is sneaky, Terrence. They've only lost they've only lost to OU, OSU, and Iowa State. So they've lost to good teams and have the ability, I think, to play with anyone just with their identity. The game is in Manhattan. You've played there. What do you see as we go into this weekend's game, uh, whether it's keys to victory or concerns you have or, or what you think Kansas State's going to bring? Um, I don't know how much you've gotten to watch them this year, but I'm curious for your take on this coming weekend's game. A great question. I haven't gotten to watch Kansas State, uh, I don't think, at all this year. I've seen some highlights, uh, but I really haven't focused on Kansas State um, this year. Um Kansas State is a, a tricky place to play because of the environment you go in. I don't know what the weather is going to be like in Manhattan. Probably going to be a little chilly. Um, 
we're not going to carry a lot of fans. There'll be some people there this spring, but really affect and energize the stadium. We won't have that. And so what I always say when you are a team that goes on the road and play in a hostile environment, it, you know, Baylor, I don't know what we're going to be after tonight's ranking, but we're going to be a top 12 team at least. Um, and so when we go into when we go into this game this weekend, we have to be able to run the ball effectively and we have to be able to stop the run and put them in disadvantaged uh, situations on third down. Uh, if we keep them in third and manageable all day, they're going to tire our defense out and our defense plays the absolute best when they're fresh. Um, and so we need to run it up the gut and be vertical as often as possible. Tristan Ebner has had a fantastic career uh, at Baylor. I think he would, if he were on this call, he would say he's frustrated with his production as well because we haven't done a good job of going lateral. And that, that's his, his strong suit is, is to be able to be shifty and, and make plays uh, at the, you know, on, on a dive. And, Tre- uh, and Abram is one cut. He's getting vertical. And he's going to fall forward whether you like it or not. And so if we can go to Manhattan this weekend, establish a downhill run game, and I know you have to mix it up, and then we can, you know, get our tight ends involved and then make and have our receivers make plays uh, or when their numbers are called. I think we have a really good chance to go in down there and, and putting up 35 points against Kansas State. And what I do know about Kansas State, and I haven't watched them, uh, I think if you can score 35 points on them, you have a legit chance of. Sweet, man. Well, hey, I'm, I'll probably let you go with that. I'm going to uh... – I'm going to run and watch this USA soccer game and get some rest. I've been going pretty hard the last two days, but I appreciate you hopping on, helping give us some real football knowledge this week. So it's not just me talking and uh, any final thoughts or final words. It's been a, it's been a good year so far. Oklahoma loses one more and Baylor's in the big 12 title game. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I wish we controlled our own, own destiny. Uh, I think Andrew Miner said that, you know, we need to welcome the chaos. And so uh, I hope chaos ensues. And um, we need to win out. We need to take care of our business moving forward. And I think we will do that. But it starts one game season against Kansas State. And we go up there, we handle business. We'll have a, a packed crowd to close out the uh, McLean Stadium this year. And then uh, hopefully get a chance to go down to uh, we're up to Arlington from Waco and playing the Big 12 championship. Uh, and uh, we'll see how that they, they goes. You know, I'm, I'm extremely proud of this team. I'm frustrated on a couple of the losses we've had. But when you think about it, and I know other people probably are too, there's no, no one more frustrated than the guys that commit to the, the, the grind day in and day out or the coaches that stay up late and they're away from their families. But – you know, this is a young team. They're going to continue to get better. We've had some veteran-led players that have set the mold, have set the standard for how we've grown to compete at Baylor, and we're going to be okay. And so I'm, I'm very proud of this team, uh, and I'm looking forward to where the, the end of this year takes us. But I'm very grateful to have been a part of this organization that has bounced back uh, in the last, you know, three years. I mean, Art Browse was – at Baylor five years ago, people don't 
remember that. You know, it feels like it's 10 years ago. And what we've been able to do twice now with, you know, Mac Rose and Linda Livingstone. With those two at, at the with, – with the reins in their hands, uh, it's, it's been a fantastic time to be a Baylor Bear. When all that stuff with our brows kind of happened – uh, I was afraid and, and, and quite frankly, ashamed to say I was a Baylor Bear. Uh, these guys, Mac Rose and Linda, have done a great job of making me feel who I am and, and what I represent in the school that, um, that I bled for. So let's go finish out the year. Let's go have fun while doing it. And let's continue to set the standard of how we compete and how we do things at Baylor. Quickly, as we conclude today, let's look ahead to Kansas State. This is a sleeper game. This is a trap game. And we just had a trap game in Fort Worth that we lost. And so I want you to hear it first before I go into anything that I'm seeing about Kansas State. Baylor can very easily lose this game. And it would not shock me if Baylor does lose this game. Obviously, I'm not wanting that. I don't think I will predict that. But it would not be a shock. Looking at Kansas State's season so far, you heard me mention this to Terrence. They've only lost to good teams. I know Iowa State's had some up and down. Iowa State was their biggest loss. But they lost to Oklahoma by six. So they played with Oklahoma. I know we just beat Oklahoma pretty convincingly, but that's a good football team. They lost to Oklahoma by six. And they lost to Oklahoma State in Stillwater by only 11. Quarterback Skylar Thompson did not play in that game against Oklahoma State. So this is a team in a lot of ways I think is very comparable to Baylor in its success. Uh, They smoked who they were supposed to smoke, uh, TCU. They smoked TCU. They smoked Kansas. They beat Texas Tech only by one, but we're learning that Texas Tech is kind of a sleeper, kind of a sneaky good team as well. I think Texas Tech has a shot to beat us in Waco next week. Let's not look too far ahead to that. The game is at Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan. So that is a advantage to Kansas State. I picked us to beat Oklahoma this past weekend because we were in McLean. Had we been in Norman, I might have picked differently. So the Manhattan advantage is real for Kansas State this weekend. So you heard me tell Terrence that I haven't actually watched Kansas State play, and, it, and it, I, I really mean it. I think I've watched Kansas State play less this season than any other team because – I've turned on Kansas in at least two or three different games now, but I have not had any reason to watch Kansas State play. So purely just looking at their statistics, their defense has been solid, but not just unbelievably stout as some Kansas State defenses have been. They're currently holding teams to 113 yards per game on the ground and 227 through the air. They've also given up 12 touchdowns on the ground and only 10 through the air. They are holding teams, however, to 3.4 yards per carry. And that's a pretty good stat. That's a pretty good number. Um, if you can hold a team under 3.5 yards of carry, you're doing something right. So it is not going to be just a super penetrable defensive front. I just have the utmost confidence in our offensive line and in Abram. And I can't imagine having said that preseason, right? But, but I do. I think we're going to be able to move the football on the ground. What I will say about Kansas State is holding opponents thus far, uh, what they've played like 10 games, right? And they've held opponents to 24 total touchdowns. You're only allowing barely more than two touchdowns a game. What that tells me is your red zone defense stands up 
and plays hard. So Baylor's going to have to execute in the red zone and get seven on drives. This is not a game you can end every drive with three points. I've been really pleased that Dave Aranda has not often settled for field goals when he can try to get seven. Uh, It could have come back to bite us against Oklahoma, but our defense was playing so well that it didn't. So I think you're going to have to get seven on some drives here in Manhattan, and I think Baylor will. But Kansas State's red zone defense is pretty stout. They're holding teams to less than 40% on third down, which is a big stat. And that's been a big stat for Baylor. Uh, Baylor, when Baylor's been successful this season, they've been able to convert third downs. And uh, there's other games where Baylor, especially you know TCU, just couldn't get it done on third down. And that's a big indicator toward a team's success. So Kansas State almost looks like a bend-but-don't-break defense, if I'm just looking at the numbers. Uh, stout on third down, stout in the red zone. The other thing Kansas State's defense does is they force turnovers. They've got eight picks this season, which isn't shabby, but they have forced 16 fumbles. They forced 16 fumbles. So this is a violent and aggressive defense. That's that's just less than two a game. If you're Baylor, and and you know, I, I hate to be so basic, right, y'all? Like I, I'd like to come in here and, and say something really insightful or bold, but I just haven't watched Kansas State play enough. It's looking statistically from an offensive perspective. Like if Baylor can get seven to end drives instead of three, can convert third downs, which part of that is is having a lot of third and shorts, right? Not not getting into third and long and hold on to the football. If if you don't fumble the football, if you can secure the football, and Abram Smith, other than that very first carry at Texas State, has done an excellent job of this, I think you're going to be able to have some success on offense against this team. Kansas State's offense has not been particularly dynamic. It never is, if we're being honest. They're averaging 211 yards through the air per game. They are averaging 159 on the ground per game. They do have Deuce Vaughn, who I think is one of the more underrated players in college football. Outstanding, outstanding tailback. Brees Hall and Jalen Warren get a lot of the hype behind Abram Smith, but Deuce Vaughn is right up there on that level with those guys, I think. Despite the prolific play of Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State's offense rests squarely on the shoulders of quarterback Skylar Thompson. Thompson is the best quarterback at the school since Colin Klein was a Heisman finalist back in 2012. He's got teammates. I'm getting a lot of this information from the Wichita Eagle, a story they ran on November 11th. He's got teammates that are saying he's playing at a Heisman level. He's averaging, as of November 11th, I guess the writing of this article, he was averaging the most yards per Big 12 game of any quarterback in the Big 12. As of today, he's at 71.6% completion percentage. That is tremendous. And as of today, he leads the Big 12 in QBR, which is ESPN's created, uh, updated, improved, they would tell you, quarterback ranking. Uh, he is two points higher than Gary Bohannon, who's second in the conference. After that, it's Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler. So for Baylor's defense, I think your game plan is exactly the same as it was against Oklahoma. I think if you can execute the same success, you're going to have a chance to win in Manhattan. So that means stopping the run, containing Deuce Vaughn, making sure that you are winning at the line of scrimmage and getting your linebackers into the backfield. And then... You know, there was a lot of criticism of the pressure or lack of pressure on Caleb Williams, but the truth is uh, Baylor had six sacks in that game against Oklahoma. And so while there were certainly plays where Caleb Williams seemed to have all day in the pocket, what Baylor did not do 
is let him escape contain and get to the outside which Aranda literally said after the TCU game, we've got to do a better job of contain, right? We got to, our defensive ends have to set an edge and not let the quarterback outside the pocket. Baylor did a tremendous job of that against Oklahoma. You're going to have to do it again against Skylar Thompson. He's a guy that can run. Shut down the run, contain the quarterback, get to the quarterback, make it hard on him. Uh, I think Skylar Thompson is going to throw a pick in this game. And uh, I think it's going to be a scary game for Baylor, but I think Baylor gets out of there with, with a win. I've got Baylor by about 10 points. I think that's pretty reasonable. I think what we saw the last two weeks are the polar, like opposite ends of what we could see in Manhattan. You could see, you know, against TCU, a Baylor team that fails to contain the quarterback, that fails to make tackles when they get to the ball, an offense that fails to stay on the field on third down, fails to execute and uh, turns the ball over. Or you could see, a defense that stops the run, gets after the quarterback, doesn't allow anything big, and an offense that converts on third down, sticks to the game plan, lets Gary use his legs, and ultimately just out-schemes the defense. I think that's what we're going to see in Manhattan. I think we're going to see closer to the Oklahoma performance than the TCU performance. I'll take Baylor by 10. It's going to be a tight one. I think we've got it. Thanks for listening this week. I hope it's been informative and helpful and even maybe entertaining for you. I've had a good time being back on the microphone for this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. Thanks to Travis for entrusting me to do so. Thanksgiving week, I will be at McLean Stadium overnight before the game, smoking and crafting some Texas barbecue with Blake Blackmar. If you'd like to come by and see us that morning before we kick off against Texas Tech, I would absolutely love to see you and shake your hand and uh, give you some good food with Blake. Michael Bartlemé will be with me as well. If you know Michael from this podcast or Twitter, uh, we'd love to see you. Please check out Bears Illustrated and check out my all-time Baylor football team. I seriously would love to know your thoughts. Uh, What players did you love that I left out? What players did I rank too highly that you would not have? Would love to have those conversations with you on Twitter or if you've got my number or whatever. Um, Would love to hear from you about that. I plan to, uh, as I am cooking with Blake next week, I I plan to keep almost like a journal uh, and write down some funny quotes or or moments, and then I will publish that on Bears Illustrated as well. You know, what I love about my agreement with Bears Illustrated, uh, we do have premium content over there for subscribers, especially around recruiting and hires and things of that nature. I you know, I, I don't host this every week anymore. I'll show all my cards. I, I think the insiders we have at Bears Illustrated are every bit as informed and in the loop as any other site out there and uh, with a lot less of the drama. And so, uh, man, if, if you uh, if you need a place to just get the latest factual up-to-date report on Baylor Athletics that is chill and, and uh, laid back, I think Bears Illustrated is a good home for you. But what I love about what, what my agreement with Bears Illustrated is, is that none of my content ever goes behind a paywall. I made that agreement with them from the get-go, and they have been faithful to allow me to continue that. So, man, uh, so I, please check out my all-time Baylor football team. Look forward to a diary or a journal of what it's like to cook with Blake Blackmar. I'm going to try to keep that pretty detailed and entertaining as I write that. Hey, I'd appreciate your prayers. You know, I I got out of this 
podcasting thing because it, it took up so much of my time and uh, I'm a full-time pastor learning how to be a, a husband and adjusting to life in a new city. I'd appreciate your prayers, man. Uh, it's been going great, but I do miss this and I miss the, the weekly interaction, but it was definitely the right move. And uh, seriously, any Baylor fans in the Houston, greater Houston area, um, I'm in Sugarland. Would love to see you. Would love to grab coffee, lunch, go to a pub and grab a beer, you know, get to know you. If you need a spiritual home, if you need a place to worship Jesus, uh, I would love to tell you about Sugarland Baptist, maybe give you an opportunity to come be part of our family here. I didn't mean to turn the end of this episode into an advertising segment for Bears Illustrated and, and my church, but, you know, would love to interact with as many Baylor fans as I can. So with that, I will bid you adieu. Uh, thanks to Travis again for letting me host this week. He should be back, is my understanding, next week. And uh, I will keep talking to you and writing when I can. Thank you, Baylor fans. Let's get a big dub in Manhattan and close out the season with a win against the Raiders. And hopefully things work out in our favor so we can be in that Big 12 championship game. And I'll see you all in Dallas for that. God bless you. Love you. Sick'em Bears. This has been... Please bear with me. Please bear with me. Typically hosted by Travis Corley. This week hosted by the creator, Scotty Swingler. The music is from Iron Kid. Check out Iron Kids wherever you stream music. Thanks to Tim Watkins and Baylor247, Bears Illustrated, for all of their support. 